Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. As you can see, I'm back in front of the green screen just temporarily. Um, I needed to actually change the opening because I have a kind of a last minute guest, Chris Galizzi from Hyperkin, which is pretty cool that he could jump on and do an interview, especially after my review of the new Hyperkin Retron 1 HD. So I guess uh, we'll see how that goes. But um, also we have the, the news and the Q&A as normal. And I, I continued to mess around with my camera setup at the office, and uh, it got worse this time. So I'm just going to go back to using the webcam temporarily until I find a more professional solution. I'm just trying to be cheap about it because I don't want to drop a couple grand on, grand on camera equipment, especially because my videos are never going to be as good as like my life in gaming. So I just need it good enough, but uh, I don't like the way webcams look. This is all pixelated and weird. So anyway, uh, on to the news, and stay tuned later for the interview. First up, I just reviewed the Retron HD, the HDMI outputting Nest. Uh, it's only $40, but overall the quality is absolutely terrible. Um, I think, uh, I could be wrong, but I think it's just the same composite video Nest they've always had with an HDMI upscaler built in. So um, yeah, I don't really recommend it, but if you're interested at all, check out the review. The SNES Classic was just officially announced, and it looks like it's going to be releasing for $80 on September 29th, and I'm just going to assume it's a, the same Linux emulation uh, that was on the NES Classic. I can't really get too excited about it because I'm sure it's not going to live up to what I would hope that it would be, but I'm going to try to buy it anyway just because I kind of have to review it. Um, the one thing that's kind of interesting is that it's going to have Star Fox 1 and 2, and the reason that's interesting is this is the first time they're going to be emulating the FX chip. So I think the only reason it didn't before was legal issues or something, but um, also because of Star Fox 2. So will they just dump the ROM onto it? Will they, uh, will they work on it at all? Will they increase the frame rates? Um, I'm going to assume that they're going to take the path of least resistance, but I guess we'll see. Um, I'm going to run through the list of games quickly just for people that are interested. Contra 3, Donkey Kong Country, Earthbound, Final Fantasy 3, F-Zero, Kirby Superstar, Kirby's Dream Course, Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, damn well better if I had that game on there, Mega Man X, Secret of Mana, Star Fox, Star Fox 2, Super Street, or Street Fighter 2 Turbo Hyper Fighting, and then a whole bunch of games with the name Super in front. <laughs> Super Castlevania, Super Cools and Ghosts, Super Mario Kart, Super Mario RPG Legend of Seven Stars, Super Mario World, Super Metroid, Super Punch-Out, and Yoshi's Island. So this is just a stark reminder of how unoriginal their marketing was. Everything had Super in front of it. But, uh, I mean, I'll, as soon as I get it in, I'll review it. Um, there's also going to be a Famicom version, which is kind of neat. Or, uh, yeah, the Japanese-looking version. 
So um, I'll uh, I'll review it when it comes in, but nobody get their hopes up. Next, I received the Neo Geo Pocket ROM cart. Uh, I am very excited about it. I haven't even taken it out of the package yet. I want to do a full review of it, which I'm going to hope will be done by the end of this week because it should be a very short one. Um, but I just wanted to let everybody know that it came. Uh, so if you put your order in, you should probably expect it uh, pretty quickly. And just by looking at it, it looks to be in a really high quality 3D printed shell with a cool label. So more info on that very soon. Next, the makers of the RGB Pi posted a pretty cool video on how their SCART head is laser engraved. Uh, and while it's not really an update or a technical thing, I just thought it was awesome and really wanted to share it with everybody. Next, Sega just launched something called Sega Forever, which allows you to download their classic games on mobile platforms for free. And then if you'd like to remove the ads, then pay $2. So, first of all, I'm always a huge fan of stuff like this. I mean, the main use of ROM carts for me is to try out games I might like, and very often they turn out to be crappy. That's why I just wanted a, you know, a jailbroken everything, just so I could try stuff out before I buy it. Um, but apparently it's getting mixed reviews. So, it, uh, this includes the Christian Whitehead Sonic games, which are all awesome, by the way. I've been playing one, or I played a few on my Apple TV, and it was great. Um, but it also includes a couple of others, which are apparently just ROMs dumped into an emulator that are laggy and not that good. So I guess it's a roll of the dice on which game you'd want to play, but at the very least, it's free, so try them out and see what you think. There's an update to the open source scan converter. Apparently, Video Game Perfection got in the version 1.6 and did audio testing on it. So now you're able to pump component video audio and VGA audio in through the 3.5mm ports. And the testing went great. There was no extra noise added. The analog to digital conversion was fine. So it looks like they'll be up for pre-order relatively soon. Which is very cool because now they're trying the pre-order method rather than the mailing list method. So supposedly as soon as it opens up, people could just go on and buy one and then you'll get it whenever the stock arrives. Uh, I'm obviously a huge fan of this method, a lot of other people are not, but I wish them the best because that is by far my favorite upscaler and I use it on a regular basis, both for gaming and for all of the re reviews and testing that I do. Next, there's another very cool Game Gear to Master System hack. This one's made by BCN Abel, one of the hackers that's been putting out some great work over the years. Uh, and he took his time to really do as good of a conversion as possible. And just really quickly for anybody just joining the podcast that doesn't know any uh, about know anything about the Game Gear to Master System, Game Gear games display at one resolution, but there's actually a wider resolution available to the game code. So these conversions both allow them to be played on a master system. It also allows you to have more of the resolution available. And then there's a lot of times garbage in that extra resolution area because it wasn't needed to be displayed on the game gear. So these hackers will actually clean all that up and make it playable. There's also a color palette difference, which is the main reason that you can't have game gear games on a Genesis because the color palettes just won't match up. So that's why they'll never be a Super Game Boy. But I've been following these conversions for years now. I'm a huge fan of them. Some of them are way more complete than others, and the ones that are complete are really great to play. So uh, definitely check it out if you have any way of playing SMS ROMs um, and you like Sonic games. 
Someone just uploaded a video of them playing an augmented reality version of Super Mario Brothers, of the first level of Super Mario Brothers. Basically, they wrote a program that allows you to put on the virtual reality helmet and see the characters of Mario Brothers in front of you, and it looks awesome. He said it's just a proof of concept and not a game that he'll be selling, but he's considering sharing the code, and I just love stuff like this. I think uh, as soon as um, as soon as we start to do more of these things, these virtual reality stuff that we've been doing will become even more relevant. So I, I'm always looking forward to trying different augmented reality stuff, and I think there's a Ghostbusters AR thing in New York that I haven't gotten around to yet, so hopefully I'll be able to do that and report back. Next, the president of Nintendo North America was interviewed and asked about fan games, and he said the line that they draw is when a fan game crosses the line of a tribute and actually goes into something that could be monetized. And then he was talking about AM2R, another Metroid 2, re- 2 remake in that context, but they never tried to sell that, and when the person interviewing pressed them on it, he just kind of repeated the same thing. So on the one hand, it's very cool that Nintendo at least understands and respects these fan hacks, but I don't know where they're quite going with AM2R. Maybe they just saw how easy it was to port to different platforms because the creator had actually rewritten it in a language where you could spit it out for Android and other platforms, not just a ROM hack. But uh, Or maybe he didn't even really understand what it was. So hopefully um, that clears up a little bit of our thoughts of what Nintendo's stance on this is. I just really wish AM2R could have grown a little bit more. I would have loved to have seen Android ports and stuff like that. But maybe I'm proving Reggie's point by saying that. So I don't know. The article uh, is linked in the description if you want to read it for yourself and make your own opinion. Next, somebody has just uploaded a video of an Atari 2600 AV demo. So it's basically just a demo cart, but it's playing video and audio on it, which is not anything I would ever expect a 2600 to be able to do. So definitely check it out. Uh, It's just worth watching for a few seconds just as a proof of concept. Well done, and that must have been a lot of hard work. A VRC7 mapper was just released for the EverDrive. Somebody on the Crix forums, I believe, made it themselves and posted it, and now you're able to put that in the folder, uh, the correct folder on your EverDrive, and play games like Lagrange Point. Lagrange Point, I don't really know how to pronounce that, but it's very cool because it's expanding the capabilities of the EverDrive even more, and it's not even something Crix wrote, it's something a fan wrote. So definitely check it out if you want to play VRC7 games and you have an EverDrive. The creator of the Verisness project has just posted another update showing the progress that he's making. And it's looking like it's coming very close to being a fully functional FPGA SNES, which I believe would be the first of its kind. So while the progress is slow, it's very steady, um, and I'm definitely keeping up on the project, and I'll let anybody know when there's any other progress. Some even more SNES news. I've made a bit more progress into tracking down the white line issue, and more importantly, different ways to fix it. So this is information that we've been talking about for a while, but I figured I would mention it here uh, in case you're not one of the people that we're following online. But basically, uh, some SNESs have an issue where you just get a white line down the middle of the screen whenever there's a dark screen. And a couple of pretty interesting things that I found. Um, If you're using an SD to SNES, the white line mostly isn't there. It's only on original games. And I believe that's because the power circuit on the SD to SNES Um, has the correct buffering so you don't get these issues. Also, if you do an RGB bypass, you still get 
the white line on composite video, but not on RGB. So that's why all those years of saying, well, the bypass fixes it, um, that would be why, because the circuit that you use has a correct power filter on it, so the RGB output wouldn't have it. Um, I also tried Steve from HD Retrovision's fix of replacing the 7805 with a different one, and that absolutely worked. And he recommends that you do that over just replace or adding the capacitor to it. Um, and while it does work, there's still a little bit of a white line there, um, but it's a massive difference. It's not even close to the same thing. And to be honest, I'm not sure you would know it was there unless you were looking for it. So as of now, I'm recommending a different solution for different scenarios. If you have a SNES Mini with the white line and you're really only going to be using RGB, I would suggest just doing the 7374 RGB mod to it, not the one with the internal encoder. And that way you just don't even have to worry about it. You could leave the whole rest of the SNES completely stock. It's a totally reversible mod, so if you're a preservationist, you don't have to worry about it, and you could just move along. Um, if you have one of the bigger SNESs and it's a problem, I would recommend replacing the voltage regulator. I'll put a link in the description, and hopefully I'll have the SNES white line page redone by the time this uh, podcast goes out, so that all the information will be there. But anyway, uh, you could just do that, and that should fix. Um, it should be just as good, if not better, than adding the cap, because you're kind of replacing something that's part of the main problem anyway. Uh, and if you're using a big SNES and you're doing an RGB bypass, so you have a one chip, one, two, or three, it's really up to you. I think I personally would just do the RGB bypass and not bother with uh, with replacing the voltage regulator. But, uh, I mean, you could do both. It certainly wouldn't hurt. Um, I'd like to do more testing. If anybody has a one chip, O1 or O2, um, I really would love to do more testing on those for this bypass, so please contact me and let me know. Uh, if you're in the U.S. or if you're willing to spend money on international shipping and you have a one-chip O1 or an O2, uh, if you wouldn't mind sending it to me, I'll do the RGB bypass for you and use it for testing, and all I'm going to charge is shipping and the cost of Voltar's board, nothing else. I'll just do the, the work for free. Um, I've done it with a few other people so far, so thanks to them for sending their consoles in, but I could really use one or two more just to confirm these findings, and uh, hopefully just have solutions for each scenario for SNES white line stuff. Now onto the Q&A stuff. First, I've been talking to Firebrand X about trying to cure Saturn jail bars on a frame meister. So it's literally only that scenario. Obviously, there's other ways to get jail bars, but there are people that have shielded cables, they're using the correct cables, um, and no matter what, they still get jail bars sometimes. And Firebrand X thinks it might actually have to do with games um, that have different resolution modes. So he's going to give me a list of certain games that have that, um, and then hopefully we could go back and recheck them. I still don't have a Framemeister, I'm, I'm still not a big fan of it, so um, if we publish the games that are having issues, it would be really cool if people could, uh, could double check those and let us know what they think. So I'll post a link to the shmups conversations that we're having, uh, people were having, and hopefully by the time this airs there'll be a little more progress. Next, Reagan Kelly posted a link to the latest Easy Flash software that doesn't require you to flash the ROMs before putting them on the ROM cart. 
So the Easy Flash 4 was the GBA ROM cart that was uh, pretty much the go-to ROM cart for years. But I couldn't stand it because you had to patch all the ROMs before putting them on. And it made doing things like ROM sets and collections just a royal pain. And that's the biggest reason I was so thrilled when Crix came out with his, just because you could dump all the ROMs on a card and go. Well, apparently, the team behind the Easy Flash actually updated the firmware now, so all you do is put the ROMs on and they auto-patch as you load them. Um, it's kind of it's kind of sucks that it took this long to do it, and you know you could only speculate that the only reason they did it is because they lost all the sales to Crix carts. But at least if you have an old Easy Flash card now, you don't have to worry about patching anymore. Next, a few people posted links to NES Classic and Famicom Classic clones that are on AliExpress for pretty cheap. So I'm assuming it's just using the plastic of the actual NES clones and jamming like a Raspberry Pi or something in there, but at the very least, they're very cool cases that you could use. So I really hate taking you know, original consoles and modifying them at all, but new throwaways like this, kind of a fun thing just to do whatever you want with. So thanks to Reed Solomon and Overdrive99 for sending the links. Okay, up next I have an interview with Chris from Hyperkin, but before I go any further, I just got to apologize for how bad that whole video audio situation just came out. Holy crap, I didn't realize how bad it was until I got into editing, but I couldn't reshoot everything because I wouldn't make the deadline date of, you know, Wednesday podcast. So, um, yeah, I'm never going to do that again. I'm just going to stick to webcams unless I get a professional solution. Uh, I had no idea the video and audio was going out of sync and then back in and then out again. I just, I can't even imagine what the heck happened. So, so sorry for that crap, guys. Please, uh, I promise that'll be the last time you have to, uh, that gave me a headache watching it. So, uh, but anyway, on a much lighter note, here's an interview with Chris from Hyperkin. I gotta say, uh, I I was very surprised at how this went. This is not at all what I expected to hear, and I'm I'm really happy that uh, that this is what Chris had to say, and I'm actually now excited about some of the things that they have coming up in the future. Uh, and that says a lot because I wasn't really sure where I stood on Hyperkin. I, I generally um, didn't have the highest opinion of him. So uh, either either Chris is genuine and he's aiming them in a great direction, or he's a, an amazingly good liar. <laughs> I, I, either one. But uh, I hope you guys enjoy the interview. It's not too long, and it sheds a lot of light on a whole bunch of different things. So. Uh, you know, please give it a chance, and as always, any comments and criticism, post down below. I love hearing from you. Thanks so much to the Patreons, because as always, I couldn't do this stuff without you guys. And I'll see you next week. Hey guys, I'm here with Chris from Hyperkin. How's it going? Good. Yourself? Thanks for inviting me, man. Yeah, good. Thanks for coming on. So, um, there's a, a bunch of questions I wanted to ask you, but obviously, you know, you're, you're at work doing your job. Um, but before I get into any of that... Uh, do you think you can give us just like a really short um, description of what it is that Hyperkin does? Because on their website, there's a ton of products, um, and they even advertise that they resell other people's. I know a lot of stuff is done in-house, so can you kind of give us an overview of what exactly Hyperkin is? Definitely. So um, Hyperkin itself is a third-party uh, manufacturer for video games, accessories, and hardware. So that ranges all the way from... Uh, of course, retro or even legacy-based stuff all the way up into modern. You know, recently we uh, partnered up with Microsoft to make a controller for them. So uh, we're moving forward in that sense, and we're even touching bases on VR. So uh, that's kind of Hyperkin in a nutshell. We are a manufacturer, but we're also a wholesaler. So um, as you probably know, we sell to stores. Uh, we sell to also directly to customers. 
on our select site, which is like hyperkidlabs.com. Gotcha. And how do you decide which products that you sell direct and not? Is it just a support thing? Uh, yeah, it's kind of like more of support. So like more of our experimental stuff kind of goes direct uh, to consumer. Like, for example, we, we made the Smart Boy with Samsung. So it's kind of a very, it's more uh, more of a smaller market than even what we're used to. So like that's experimental. The VR stuff is definitely still experimental and stuff like that. So the Retron HD, because it's our first time going into like uh, an anal- uh, a hardware-based um, high-def console, that was experimental. So we, we try everything out there first and see how the response is. And then if it goes well, then we release it to the partners to sell. Gotcha. So it's things like... Um... Uh, the Virtual Boy stand and, and headset. I mean, that really caught my eye because nobody was providing that solution for right. anybody. But that's uh, uh, that's partner only. That's not direct, right? That's correct. Um, the reason why is it's a very limited quantity in what we had to produce just because, you know, we got metal legs and stuff like that. So it was something that we only could produce in small batches. And we were actually kind of – our partners were more worried that – um, consumers would buy it directly, so they kind of just requested, like, "Hey, can it just be direct on, uh, only for wholesale only?" So, gotcha, gotcha. And what exactly uh, is your role at, at Hyperkin? How long have you been there? You were the one that got uh, tagged online a lot with uh, all the Retron Five stuff, which is why I knew to yeah. talk to you. So, I guess uh, the best way to put it is um, Hyperkin kind of likes me to use them, use me as like their uh, spokesperson in a sense. Um, but my key role here is uh, I run R and D. So the R&D department is my responsibility. And at the same time, I assist with uh, product management. So um, those are the two key key areas I'm in. And that's the gist of it. And besides, of course, doing interviews and some press and uh, things, just because our marketing department feels more confident if I'm in front of the camera than themselves. Gotcha. Um, I just, uh, I want to give you a very, very quick background of myself just to understand where I'm coming from. So I'm I'm obviously a huge nerd. Uh, always into retro gaming stuff, and a couple of years yeah. ago, I tried to go back and get the best quality out of my SNES, which led okay. me to realize there's no repository for information anywhere on the internet. So I ended up creating Retro RGB as a place for people to permanently, forever leave info on what's the best way to get um, the best both audio and video out of your consoles, which is why I'm so critical of, of everything out there now. It's just because I've, I've dedicated so much, uh, so much of my time doing it. But my day job sure. is actually IT and tech-based, and uh, I had a job for over six years where I spent almost half the time in Taiwan at the R&D facility, at the Chinese manufacturing. So it was a, a right. hardware manufacturing company. So while, while of course, I, I guess the best way to, to describe myself is I'm an expert in nothing but know just enough about everything to get be dangerous. <laughs> Trust me, you, your your expertise is very valuable. Like especially in the the market that myself and my R and D team works in. Like we find like we we frequent we have frequented your website multiple times just to see you know what's currently what people are talking about and stuff like that. Because that's just the nature of our business. We got to know what people want. And even though sometimes we can't deliver on that for various reasons, you know we do try to see what we can do in a very uh, quid pro quo mentality with our management. So, gotcha. It's cool, cool to hear that. Um, so that's perfect, and that that brings me to to how I got in touch with you. Is yeah. I just reviewed the Retron One HD, but I but reviewed it from the perspective of the people that would follow my site, people that Definitely. are out there chasing the best quality you can get, yeah. um, and and really just wanting a way to play NES in HD. 
and from that perspective, I genuinely felt that it fell short. Um, it, I believe, it was your old, uh, or it was the old Ness on a chip um, using the LVDS output into a, just a basic upscaler. Um, is that correct? So you are correct in the sense that we are using like an NOAC. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we did modify it slightly than what we originally put in our Retron One. So we did do some modifications internally on it. And in terms of the upscale board, uh, we are using a variation of an uh, FPGA to do the signal. Um, unfortunately, I can't go like I, I recently just saw your video before even after I agreed to like you know interview. I was like, oh, you know, I should probably watch the video. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So yeah, like for example, like the the scratching of the chip. That's just more for our competitors, so that way they don't try to um, isolate what chip we're using and stuff like that. Because right. that, believe it or not, is a, mo- a really common thing between us and our competitors to knowing like what kind of chips and stuff like that is going on. So. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of why I brought up the whole uh, doing business over in the Southeast Asia because I know exactly what goes on there. So don't, yeah, yeah that's that's completely understandable. Um, sure. So I guess I mean, so from that perspective, it, it really was just taking your Retron One and then just basically adding the HDMI stuff. Um, what what did you guys look into when you were trying to do that? Because uh, you know, were you trying to aim for uh, were you trying to aim for a cheap product? And I mean that uh, in a good way. I mean, like you know, are you looking to put out the most inexpensive inexpensive way to get Ness on a HD TV? Or did you guys explore different ways to try to get high quality solutions out? So yeah, so I'll, if you if you want, we can actually go through kind of like the process that we went through. Oh, and- I would love that. Yeah. Okay, great. So um, originally, um, you know, the NES Classic came out, and, and we were bombarded by requests from partners, small and big, you know, ranging from uh, the mom-and-pop retro store all the way up to, like, as an example, like GameStop Target, mm-hmm. you know, because our name is is officiated with retro. So, you know, uh, they did reach out and like, hey, do you have a high-def Nintendo solution? And we're like, uh, well, we have something on the back burner, but it's not ready because we were going along the lines of something a little bit more premium because, as we both know, like the ABS and the analog are beautiful pieces of machinery that definitely cater to uh, the quality standards of your community. And we that, that was like our goal at one point. Like, you know, we want to at least have – because we've kind of dominated like the middle market, mm-hmm. low-end market in terms of these type of systems. So, but we're still missing that high-end market, mm-hmm. and we really want to aim for at least the R and D team. We really want to like we can do this, and we can do it at a price point that's competitive to like an ABS. So that's where it started off, and then uh, we started talking to like our partners, and it was like, well, how would you feel about like maybe a hundred and thirty, hundred and forty dollars system? Like, no, 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 that we can't do that. We can't stock it, and then. You know, slowly, but little by little, as months progressed, we started winging down some of the components and some of our expectations to meet a more uh, price-friendly version that stores would be willing to stock. So, and that's where we got to the point of where the Retron HD is. And as you know, like, for example, like, definitely in the high-end community, uh, comparing it to the ABS or anything like that, like, you can't, you really can't. Uh, Those are just, like, that's just high bar standard right there. So for us, like, like for other people that like recommended the system, like the key thing that they recommended, I think even yourself uh, was saying that, you know, this is great for like the lowest end form of introduction to NES if you want to play it on your high def TV or your flat screen. Mm-hmm. And that eventually, that that's where our goal from high end went all the way down to where we are today. And that's like in our 
company's eyes, the definitely the console's a success because it is selling, it is doing well on the consumer standpoint, especially in the mass market where which it was aimed at. So that was kind of like the cycle in which it came from. We did want to do this really high-end thing, you know, even take a, 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 a poke at the analog and do like an aluminum shell and everything like that, like mill it out. But it was just, in the end, it was more of a decision to not do that. Gotcha. Without, without burning a few bridges here at the office. No, I hear you. And I, I completely understand that perspective. One of the things we designed in my company was this amazing feature-filled thing. And our biggest customer said, this is exactly what we want. Uh, pull everything out except the touchscreen. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> so, exactly. But I mean, I and, get you it. Know, you know, your customers dedicate your product or, or dictate right. your product. So it's, yes. you know. Um, so are there still plans for higher-end products then yeah. to try to fill that so, middle ground? Um, we, I, I can't go into too much detail. No, oh, of uh, course, yeah. But, I mean. but uh, we are going to be unveiling something at CES this year, um, and we're definitely in the in the midst of. It's going to be probably too premium, uh, just because now that management is happy with what R and D is capable of, they're kind of like, all right, you know, here's your Halo project, or here's your the one thing that if it doesn't make money, fine, but like you can do it. So. We are pulling out all the stops on our next product. That's really great to hear. Um, yeah. You know, I do have to ask a couple harder questions, though, because my listeners would just rake me over the coals if I didn't. Um, you, you know guys... what? I'll answer them to the best of my, my best of my ability. Yeah. Well, you guys do have um, a history of announcing products that uh, that have a very long time before they see the light of day, like uh, the TurboGrafx-16 handheld. I mean, like that's not out yet. That was, you know, there's a lot of. Are you guys going to announce something with a hard target date, or is it just going to be a loose announcement like some of the previous? No, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. Like as you know, like the Retron HD, we didn't advertise it prior to it launching, mm -hmm. so we've learned from our mistakes in that sense. Like especially working with bigger companies like Microsoft, uh, you know, we're working with Vive. You know, they have a very strict uh, presence that we have to follow. So like if we're going to tease it, they expect it launched within six months. So uh, because of that. Uh, uh, that that discipline that they require from us, we're learning from that. So gotcha. uh, previously, we were using like you know ways of gauging public interest. Like, hey, let's show like for example the Turbo Graphics handheld remake that we're doing, and let's see if there's even a market for it. Um, you know, we're getting to the point where we're more confident in our research, and we can be like, all right, we don't even have to tease it. We're just going to make it, and we're going to launch it. So without having to tease the public in a sense. Gotcha. Um, just to go back to the Retron 1 HD for a minute, um, a few of the things that, uh, well, one of the things that I meant to test, and then uh, I got um, impatient and uh, ripped the glob top off by accident and ruined it, so I'll be buying another one of those. <laughs> so you we'll got, you you got one, two sales it. from me on this one. But uh, <laughs> um, one of the things I did not get a chance to test was the lag. So all I could have is my, my subjective testing. Um, but that's one of the things that, for whatever crazy reason, I'm very sensitive to. Before I even really knew that there was, you know, understood that there was lag, and I didn't, I didn't seem to to find that much on there. Did you guys go through testing to make sure that that was reduced? Yeah, for example, like some of the things that we did to make sure that we improved from our Retron One, the earlier our original version was, of course, not only lag but also compatibility. Like our original. Uh, Retron was able to play like Castlevania stuff like that so we were more focused on those type of things and I recall there was a huge argument over the palette internally mm. of like what we were doing and stuff like that it was a huge argument like 
at one point, like our China office refused to take my phone call because <laughs> of how pissed off we are. Uh, Cause it, there comes a time because, you know, sometimes we take things personally more mm-hmm. than we should. So, but you know, the palette that we were, we were trying to get, which just wasn't possible in time of when we promised the ship date to the customers to finish it. So after we did the QCing and all the R and D, we, there was multiple prototypes with different palettes and you know, the ones that we wanted just could not be done in time. So, and that, and of course the added R and D cost was a, a huge benefactor to at least our management saying, Chris, shut up. So. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so. But was lag actually something that you guys tested and went through while you were doing the R and D for it? Our China side office did. That was not our R and D side's responsibility. But yeah, that was something that was tested on there. So. Did, did they actually were they able to pull out any hard numbers? Because the test that I was going to do was uh, basically it's a Nest controller with an LED light hooked up, and then you put a slow motion mm-hmm. camera in front of it. And you know what I what I was able to do was uh, it's definitely under two frames of lag without a doubt. I think it's actually less than a frame. Did you guys numbers yeah. match up with that? From our, our internal R and D stuff, it was it was around what you're saying. But if you want really hard facts, I can actually send you some of our, our test reports. Yeah, so that'd you be want pretty to awesome. As long as you're allowed we... to send that over, yeah, that would be neat just to see what that's well, like. Well, I won't send you the whole test report. I'll no, 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 just yeah, a screenshot yeah. of that one little snippet, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I could definitely do that. I don't think they'll crucify me over here for that. So. Gotcha. Now, was there a reason that the ROM cart won't work? Is that just a side effect of the Nintendo on a chip, or is that something that you guys, a block that you put in? It's not a block that we put in. So, uh, coincidentally, uh, you know, what we do for testing, like, you know, with flashcards and stuff like that, you know, uh, it's kind of a hit or miss. Like, we we have an EverDrive, obviously, for testing and stuff like that. And um, the EverDrive version that we have in China works fine. But the EverDrive version that we have here sometimes works or doesn't work. So, yeah, exactly. And I think it's just more of the, uh, what's the best way of putting it? Maybe the EverDrive version that's being used in China is not 100% legit. You know, however they got a hold of theirs may not be the same way we got from Crix. Or it's or a different like revision or something. Correct. Crix does update his, you know, regularly, so... Correct. Interesting. So there's several variables to it. So that now, we're still trying to figure. Out. The the controller that it came with. Um, you guys yeah. actually have a reputation of making very good third party controllers. Um, I think to some extent, sure. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I believe your six button Genesis one. Uh, a few people that are very finicky about these things, as I am to lag, they are to controllers. Actually, recommend right. them. Um, maybe I got a bum one because we all know when you're going through you know runs of thousands on a plastic tooling, we all know what could happen, but. Um, I actually found the right stick on the D-pad to kind of sometimes act as if I had taken my finger off. Is that something that's that just... Peculiar. Yeah, I the, mean... I, I like to assume you got a bum one, but, you know, because from everyone else, like including our partners um, and also people online, you know, actually from the people that don't like the Retron HD, the one thing that they do like about it is usually the controller. So I was actually pretty surprised to hear that from your feedback, so... Yeah, me too, because you guys, that was the last thing I expected, and I actually, I even said in the review the controller was pretty comfortable. I kind of liked the bumps you put on the back for that. Correct. You know, we want to make something a little bit more ergonomic, something with more modern flair, and, you know, we want, like, in a sense, like, cut out the corner side so that way it's just not digging into your palms, so. Yeah, actually, I didn't, that was going to ask you that as well. Was that aesthetic or was that something for comfort? But I guess that's uh, for comfort then. It was actually for more for comfort, and then aesthetically, we're like, oh, hey, this kind of looks like our packaging already. 
So. Gotcha. One thing yeah. I did forget to mention in the review is you put a long cable on that controller, which is always appreciated these days, especially because people generally sit farther back from the TV. So. Definitely. And especially with the Super NES uh, Classic coming out, you know, that's only like I think a five-foot cable. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the other thing that I have to ask, because uh, it's been one of those things that sometimes it's blown out of proportion, sometimes it's not, but, but what exactly happened with the, the whole Retron 5 and putting, um, you know, putting that, the, the emulation software on there? So what I can tell you from our end is, so the, current, the way that the Retron 5 was developed, um, hardware-wise, uh, you know, is, you know, what Hyperkin's known for, we're known for hardware. Mm -hmm. uh, software is definitely something that we don't necessarily uh, say we're amazing at. Mm -hmm. uh, the, so the company that we branched out to do the software side um, did talk to, like, they, they were in charge of handling everything. And legally, Hyperkin side, you know, we, of course, have our own due processes set up so that way uh, whoever this third-party company is, they make sure they, they submit legit software that they say themselves created. So unfortunately, uh, you know, after, and this is the reason why there has been really no issue on Hyperkin side in terms of uh, legality, is the fact that the third party company that developed the software for us um, admitted fault. And because they admitted fault, you know, it indemnified Hyperkin from the sense of it. So because of that, you know, unfortunately we know not to trust third party software houses to develop our stuff anymore. So like, for our current projects coming up, we do have an in-house software house now that we have. We have a programmers and stuff like that now. So, so we learn from that mistake. But in terms of detail, that's as far as I can go. The fact no, that it's, you know, that makes sense. Um, so that, that was, was the thing uh, that that makes a lot of sense to me because uh, it it did strike me as odd that that would have happened, especially because you guys are known for retro gaming, and also because the team behind that. Um, if you had just gone out there and said, hey, we're going to make a product using their software, uh, I don't know any of them personally, but based on how I've, I've seen them over the years, they probably would have been ecstatic about that if it was done yeah. the, you know, in reverse. So that's why it always kind of struck me as odd, but that well, doesn't make weird sense. Part of that. So, like, for example, I could disclose right now, like, you know, our Retron 77 that we're making, you know, we have, we've actually licensed Stella through its author. So, like, you know, we've already paid the guy's money, and he's definitely helping us out with it. Um, We've already purchased the rights to Higgin. So, like, you know, normally this is how we do things. It's just unfortunate uh, the way that it happened because when I started working here about four and a half years ago, it was already midway through development of the Retron 5. Mm -hmm. So um, because of that, you know, right now I handle all licensing. Mm -hmm. So I think if I were there five years ago, I think we could have avoided this whole issue because I could have looked at the software. I could have looked at the source code. Unfortunately, the product manager before me was, I guess you would say, lazy in that aspect, and he didn't do that. Gotcha. He um, just assumed, well, we have a letter of identification, so if they did do anything, it doesn't harm us. So. It's a very business way of doing things. Like, well, it's not our problem legally, so Correct. whatever. So I and for me, I'm not, I'm not here to piss off anyone. So. Gotcha. Now, did you, in any of the uh, literature on the Retron 77, mention that it's um, off of a licensed Stella? Yeah. So, um, actually, if you go to, like, Atari Age, like, we actually opened up discussion with the, the community to let them know what version we're using. So, we're using a closed-source version of Stella. I believe it's 1.0. And uh, we've already disclosed which version we're doing. And then, once the project gets more solidified, of course, 
um, based upon contract because it is a closed source version. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to disclose source code uh, because it's closed. But the version, the but the code that we did update, like mm-hmm. for example, like for cartridge reading and stuff like that, we will be releasing that for the community to toy with and play with if they want to. Now, I'm obviously not a marketing guy, so uh, you know, but uh, it's sure. it's my opinion that stuff like this is nothing but positive for absolutely everybody involved positive yeah. for you guys positive for the you know the community so uh, i don't know how i missed that because i'm on atari age so i must have i do skip a lot of the 2600 stuff because there's a lot of that's why. really deep dev things in there but yeah. uh, now i feel like an idiot for missing it because that's that's awesome that's the type of stuff right. that you know we like to hear. um yeah it went live during e3 because that's when we unveiled the retron 77 right so uh, so at that, like you said, if you get a chance, go check out Atari Age. Go to the 2600 forums, the ones that you don't want to go to. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, we have our developer hyperkin email linked to it. So all emails go to me and my other R&D members. So we answer all questions for the most part, you know, as direct as we can. Wow, that's that's very cool. Um, so uh, was there a target release date for that? Because a lot of the people that covered the Retron 77, uh, I guess it got... I don't want to say it got lost in the midst of it, but you know there was like a quick article here and there, and I think you said the fall or the winter, right? Right now, it's more towards winter. Like we're looking at either Q4 or Q1 uh, of this year, but that's depending, of course. Uh, you know, a lot of people from Atari H have from, uh, have given us a lot of great ideas. Like they're like, we know you're using a closed source version of Atari, but is there a way we can upgrade to the most current version of Stella? So, and we're just like, well, legally we have to check about that because we don't want this since we're doing the development now of software we don't want it to be a slap in the face like what happened like with the retron 5 because you know we got to make sure all contributors are in somehow either rewarded or at least given permission to use what they've contributed gotcha. so so that's more of a bigger task so that's varying on that so will this uh, you said it'll play cartridges but would this play roms as well so like for example we uh, one of the things that Atari H kept on asking is like will this work with the harmony card so uh, we we did order several Harmony cards, and we're currently testing. So we're figuring out compatibility because some some of the bin files are working, some aren't. So we're trying to figure out why or why not that's not working. So before we release what we're doing to the public, we got to make sure, like from a legal standpoint, we can even release that portion of the source code because, like I said, we did license a closed source version. So. Gotcha. Now, um, does Hyperkin have any official stance on ROMs or anything like that? Because, uh, you know, there's certainly a, a majority feel in the community. Even the people that are, are, are I guess, historians are the, are the best way to put it, are very pro-ROM for all the old stuff, nothing new and current, obviously. Um, we kind of don't have a stance. Like, you know, we, we definitely respect the idea that, you know, you should be playing your backups legally. That's something that, you know, we definitely have to, we, we not only promote, but we think it just adds to the retro experience. But, you know, like anything else, you know, we're retro fans. So if that's your only means of playing retro games, we're not here to judge you. So, Right, but I mean, as far as uh, possibly supporting SD cards on any future products and oh, stuff like that. that way. Uh, unfortunately, we can't do that, at least not at the moment. And that's just more of, as an example would be um, if we put like an SD card on the Retron HD, uh, like I said, as a fair example, um, that may just open us up to more questions from like Nintendo or something like that. And we just kind of don't want to go down that route. Gotcha. And companies certainly have had a history of uh, like with ISOs and uh, Blu-ray players, you know, one company, one very big name company opened it up 
And the movie industry yeah. basically said, well, there's nothing we can do to you, but we can cut right. off all your funding for this other thing. And, you know, so, yeah, that right. is always a legit concern. I was just wondering if you guys had an official stance on that. But I guess I guess it's probably similar to the community because, you know. It, it, it is similar in that sense. But like I said, officially, we can't, like, make a stance. Right. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so is there anything else coming up, anything that you want people to know? Um, because, you know, depending on which products people bought from you, there's definitely a very paralyzing view of the company. You know, if you happen to get a Virtual Boy stand and the six-button controller, you know, people absolutely, you know, go nuts for it. But if you were, you know, if you bought the wrong thing at the wrong time or were waiting on something, you know, people seem to have a negative opinion. Is there, other than right. all the positive stuff that you've already talked about, is there anything that you'd want people to know as somebody from the inside who, who sees how things work? Uh, I, I know, uh, and this is something that uh, I realized at E3, um, you know, I've been going to E3 every year for with Hyperkin for close to five years, and um, for some reason, people had a connotation on us that we're this big giant company. You know, um, our R and D team size consists of four people, so you know it's quite small in that sense here in the U.S. office. So uh, you know, uh, definitely, I know there's some people that don't like how we or what we've done or what we're doing at the moment, but I can assure you that we're doing the best we can under our certain circumstances. And now that the company has gotten to a certain level, uh, we are going to be, we are now switching from more of a mass production um, house to more of like limited quantity solution house now where we focus solely not only on quality, but we're also going to be mostly focused on what the community is gathering from us because we're starting to do stuff with Xbox and Vive and like those type of projects are where are what's going to pay the bills. So now that those type of projects are paying the bills, we can definitely focus more money on retro and what we'd like to actually do here in terms of like what we're passionate about. So that's awesome. That's good to hear because there's definitely um, there, there's definitely a need and a, a desire for mid-range products. You know? Um, yeah, that's and that's our goal. Like I said, we've kind of dominated the low end, entry level, like mid-market, and now our goal is to get into the mid-market and almost the high-end market. So and we're at the point where we can start doing some of these low quantity projects and not worry that it doesn't sell. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, I mean, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to do this. And I, uh, I certainly have a different opinion of Hyperkin as a whole. And I, I hope that everybody watching does as well. So it, uh, you, know, you certainly said a lot of things that I personally wanted to hear. And uh, I'm actually excited to see what you guys have coming out. And by all means, Bob, like, you know, you have my, you can DM me wherever you want. And I have no problem jumping on anytime in the future if you ever want to talk about a certain subject or anything like that so awesome cool thanks very much uh you know anybody comments uh down below i'd love to hear everybody's thoughts on this and i'll see everybody next week cool thanks right. guys take care bye